Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hello there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to a new episode of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm so happy to be talking to you again. I know that at the end of the last episode, I said I'd have an episode up on December 31st, and that didn't happen because the world is crazy right now, and life is crazy, and it's just been a a long year this first few weeks of January, but here we are. We're back we have a new episode. We're about a pretty new show that I hope you've all watched and enjoyed. It is The Wheel of Time. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation because I got a great Wheel of Time expert and an amazing witch. Storm Fairy Wolf is our guest today. He's an author, teacher, and just an all-around nerd about Wheel of Time, which I loved. He knows everything about it. And we had a great conversation about this book series and about this amazing television series. It has all sorts of stuff to prompt us talking about gender and magic and media and books and writing. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation. So without further ado, let's see how the wheel turns with Storm Fairy Wolf on The Wheel of Time. Swear your oath, Moraine Sedai. I swear to speak no word that is not true. To make no weapon with which one person may kill another. And never to use the one power as a weapon. Do you know what Aes Sedai means in the old tongue? Servants of all. It is they who serve the world. Storm Fairy Wolf, thank you and welcome to Real Magic Podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Um, so before we get into Wheel of Time, I'd like to kind of ask like an icebreaker question. Is like, what was your like entryway into magic via like movies and television or even books when you were a kid? Because I feel like Almost all of us witchy people had that first thing that made us want to like wave a wand around and see if it worked. Oh, totally, totally. You know, it it is funny because I think right there you hit the nail on the head. It was pop culture that led me to witchcraft. I know I hear a lot of other people like, oh, you know, my grandmother taught me this or, you know, whatever. And I always look at that a little dubious. Like, yeah. you know, really the grandmother stories, but maybe that's true. I wanted um, to be Maleficent. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I was not as cool as even that. I wanted to be Samantha Stevens. Oh, and that's a great, so, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think just my personality, I tend to joke around and I think humor is such a, a powerful force for good in the world. And so the, the fact that it was a sitcom that actually led me originally to the craft, I think is just completely appropriate. I know some people kind of get down on that, like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's not serious. You know what? But silliness, I think, is such an important part of what we need to grasp in the craft specifically. And so for me, it's it's just perfect. I loved Samantha Stevens. I loved all the gay warlocks. 
oh, here such I am a queer now counting show. myself among them. Totally a queer show. Totally yeah. queer show. So subversive. We had an episode about it back in the summer and we talked about like the queer subtext of it and just all of it. And I, I want to be in Dora when I grow up. She's like still my <sighs> goals. I love her. <laughs> like she's just fabulous. But yeah, that show was just so wonderful. I remember watching, you know, the reruns on Nick at Night and just that was that was it. Like I'm like, oh yeah. And I want to be Samantha and no no use for Darren, but Right. Oh, I was so mad at Darren because I oh, thought, what a fool. First of all, he could have like the best life, you yeah. know, if he just accepted his wife for who she was. And for me, that was really kind of the story. And you're talking about queer subtext. There it is, you know, having to pretend to be something you're not, you know, to yeah. the rest of the world in order to be, you know, accepted. That spoke to me even before I knew that I was queer. I was like, I was two years old when I told my mom I was going to grow up and be a witch. And it was because of Samantha Stevens, you know, and uncle Arthur and all of them, you know, and Endora. Yeah. Again, props to Endora. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was just, it's so amazing how like those things resonate with us when we're little, like, like I said, you know, I was wandering, wandering around the house with my cordless phone, casting Maleficent spells. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, long time ago, kids, phones had cords and it was a really cool thing when you had a phone without a cord. It was, that itself was quite magical. Oh my good, Yeah, ab- absolutely. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, I love how the shows like Bewitched used magic as a metaphor for so many things, for power, especially for feminine power and how it was scary to some people. And I think kind of Wheel of Time is in the legacy of that both the show Agreed. and the book to kind of transition us to a wheel of time, because we're talking about, you know, the HBO, the HBO, sorry, I'll edit that. The Amazon prime video uh, show that just wrapped a few weeks ago. And it is so magical. It is just like, Oh yeah. It's wonderful. So what's your background with wheel of time? Because you, unlike me have read the many, many, many books, or have you read all of them? <laughs> I have read all of them. How many There's, are there? There are 14 main books and a smaller prequel novel. And they're not like small books either. They're like doorstops, right? They are not. The, the, the prequel novel, I would say, is like, I mean, what's a normal book? But that's like, it feels like a normal book. Yeah. The rest of them are all like a thousand pages long or, or, or approaching that. It's crazy. The entire series is almost five million words. Oh, my gosh. I, that's inspiring to me. Cause like I'm a writer and I can't like deliver anything like under a hundred thousand words for a manuscript. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, good. Perfect. That's like, there's other people who can't do things in a short way either. I, I will and, say my little, like, I don't know, comment slash judgment on that is I, I will say, I know that a lot of, a lot of the super book fans might get mad at me for saying this, but um, it didn't need to be that long. I will do admit. You, do you it, think that like it kind of got to the, because uh, I've read the Game of Thrones books and I think like after a f- the first few were successful, the editors kind of lost their power over the author to say, if you don't need <laughs> this 4,000 word scene about the food here. But once it's successful, right. like, do you think that, I mean, that was a problem I, for Robert Jordan? I do. I do. I, 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 and here's the thing though. It's not so much a problem. I mean, it's really good writing. Yeah. And he's so descriptive. I mean, like he will describe like the porcelain teacups 
you know, that they're daintily drinking out of, and he will describe, you know, what they're using to brush their teeth, you know, and, you know, it sounds almost absurd when I'm talking about it here, but in the context of the story, it is such great world building. It's just so detailed. And that's not even talking about just the epicness of the countries and the cultures and the political intrigue, you know, that's yeah. this is massive. And I mentioned almost 5 million words. That's just the published stories. Apparently the notes that Robert Jordan was compiling is more words than the actual series. That's amazing. So he obviously didn't have time to do anything else in his life. Like he did this and that was what he did. <laughs> is, he, is Robert Jordan still alive? I'm No, oh, in fact, so here's the thing. He passed away before the series was completed. Oh, now this was a thing when I, when I started with it, um, this was in the nineties, I want to say 93, 94, maybe 95. It's a blur. Um, I don't do time that well. Um, but none of us best... do anymore after the last few years, like, <laughs> especially now, right. It's yeah. just like, what does this even mean? Um, but I was given by my best friend at the time, the first three books in paperback. Cause I was told you really need to read the th the first three books in order to really get into it. Now I, I loved it from book one. Um, but I got these books and then when I got caught up, I think when I was waiting just a little bit of time for book four to come out. So I got that, but then it was like two years in between each book. It felt like, you know, and it was like, and there's so many characters, there's over 2,700 named characters. Oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm assuming and, like, he didn't have like an Excel spreadsheet writing these in the nineties. Like, I'd, oh my gosh. <laughs> he obviously had great notes that, I mean, it all fits yeah. together. It's all, it's, and he would give glossaries in each book. There's glossaries, oh. there's maps. I love, I mean, I love, I love a map. Love Tolkien a level yeah. stuff, you know, it, it was amazing. And also like basically a language, you know, he has this language that he created called the old tongue, you know, that shows up a lot, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in the books. And we see it a little bit in the series as well. Yeah. And it's I'm very so Tolkien. Far. Like it's, it's direct oh, yeah. descendant of Tolkien. Like that's one of the things I noticed just watching it. I'm like, Oh, this is because people were kept comparing it to game of Thrones. I'm like, no, this is Lord of the Rings. This isn't game of Thrones. Right. Game yeah. of Thrones is after. Yeah. Game of you Thrones know, I think came after. And, yeah, and, definitely. <laughs> but, but yeah, Robert, but that series is done and game of, and you know, who knows if song of ice and fire will ever be finished. Yeah. I, I <laughs> don't know. I haven't, I haven't read books. them yet, but I probably will now. You know, because I, especially now that the the Wheel of Time series has come out, it's kind of reignited that fire. Oh yeah, and I'm so I'm so into it. But I I do have a specific love for the Wheel of Time. Um, I also end up recommending it to my magical students because it's very useful. The the way that they describe magic, their system of magic, I think actually has real world applications. Yeah, I think that's what I love when you kind of. If, you know, encounter a fictional system of magic when it has some of that echoes and applications in your real magical practice. Cause like, you know, no one's like as, as lovely as some of, you know, she who shall not be names world building was like the magic in the right. Harry Potter series to just like say a weird word in Latin and wave your wand. Like there's no emotionality to the magic usually. Right. And in this one is very much that, you know, becoming a channel for the magic. So can you We'll get, we'll get back to how the series was finished after, because the series was finished after his death. 
Yeah. So apparently um, Robert Jordan, the author of all of this, um, he knew how it was going to end, I think, from square one. Mm -hmm. And he apparently had even written the final scene. Oh, okay. But then he was diagnosed with a, uh, I want to say it was a blood condition. Mm. I don't remember what it was. <clears throat> and it was terminal. And so he began to focus his efforts on um, compiling his notes and trying to finish the last book. And I, I think he said something to the effect of he was going to finish it in one last book, even if the book was so large, it had to be put in a wheelbarrow and, and pushed out the door. And then, of course, he died. And mm. um, the series was left open now this was obviously horrific for all the fans yeah and it was predicted you know i remember i had recommended the series to people while it was still going on and a lot of people told me and this is be before even robert jordan was diagnosed they said oh well what if he dies before it's done and mm -hmm. i don't want to start it if i'm not gonna be able to finish it i was like oh yeah. what are the chances of that come on just get into it oh. right and then he died you know and we were all like what is going on but um his widow um, decided to um, get another fantasy author to finish the series. So um, Brandon Sanderson was hired to finish the series. He was a fan of the series. I guess he had written a really um, wonderful kind of obituary, you know, uh, in honor of Robert Jordan. And so um, the widow Har Harriet McDougall saw that and um, ended up hiring him to finish the series. And so there were three more books brandon sanderson wrote the final three books in the series which were among some of the best i would oh, say wow. in the series and i want to say here's my thing i don't necessarily think that they were the best because oh brandon sanderson's a better writer than robert jordan i don't think that is the case mm -hmm. as, as much as it was this is really where the story like started to come together and it was the big climax you know yeah but he brandon sanderson did an excellent job of approximating Robert Jordan's language. So I didn't feel like there was a shift in, in the feeling of the writing. He just continued it on in that style. And that's, to me, that's also amazing, you know, because it's one thing for an author to have their own style and, and to do that. But then if you have to write in someone else's style, you yeah. know, I can just imagine what, a, what an incredible uh, feat you know, that is to undertake. And he did it masterfully. The, the, it ended beautifully. Obviously I'm not going to reveal the end. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was, it was really well done. I, but again, I will say with 14 books and a prequel, um, it could have been, it could have been shorter. There, there's, yeah. there is a part in the middle and again, it's all blurry. I don't know. Book seven, eight, nine, maybe, I don't know, but there was a slog. Yeah. And there's one of them where, where it's literally like, you know, the whole book, like a thousand pages is like two days uh, oh of gosh. events. And then you wait two years and then the next book comes and it's the same two days, but it's from like the perspective of this other camp. And when I say this, you're probably thinking like, oh my God, that's just extra and you don't need that and blah, blah, blah. But you do. It all wove together tightly. It was great. There were very few questions that are left unanswered. There's like a few little questions that were purposely not answered. You know, even Robert Jordan wouldn't answer them. And Brandon Sanderson was forbidden to answer them. Oh, wow. You know, but only a couple little things, you know, whatever. But the, all the main things, everything wove together. It was very tightly done. Oh, wow. Well, now, I mean, I'm like, maybe I, you know, not that I have, I have a TV to be read pile, like five miles long. Like, get that 14 more. <laughs> 
five million words to that I one. No, it is an it's undertaking. Daunting. That's why it I'm is a, daunting. I'm glad they're adapting it because I'm like, ah, now I can yeah. watch it. Yeah. And, then, and they're I will say they're doing a pretty good job. There's been some changes, obviously. And obviously you'd have to make changes. Yeah. You know, so and they, and they had a little, they had a little bit of extra issues because of COVID, you know, yeah. and, and so that kind of messed up a couple of things for them too. And, um, but overall, I'm really enjoying the Amazon prime series and the acting is amazing. Um, the visuals are amazing, oh, um, yeah. but they did change a couple little things. Um, and a couple main big things too, that I was shocked from the first episode. I was like, what? But then I loved it also because me as a big fan of the books, I was, I got to be surprised. That's always you know, lovely. Watching the show. I loved right. it. And like, I, one thing I'm aware that they changed and we're going to, we, so spoiler warning for like the first season of we have right. time. we're going to talk about most of it. Um, they made like the, I think, I guess this is maybe implied in the books, but they made it very explicit. Like Moraine has this beautiful same-sex relationship with the Tamerlan Sea. And I thought that was wonderful. Like I, you know, I was watching, you know, Sophie Okaneda and um, Rose Bird, like, I'm like, oh, oh, wouldn't it be great if they kissed right now? They should totally kiss right now. And then they kissed. I was like, oh my gosh, it never, it never actually happens when you're like, yeah, feeling it. that was great. And I will say, I mean, obviously that's a change, you know, from the books, but in the books, they are just, they did have yeah. a relationship, the two of them when they were younger, mm-hmm. you know, but they just never, that was never addressed in their adulthood, we'll say. Yeah. And, um, and so it was actually a really nice bit to have them show. And I think it really, really did a lot for their motivation and oh, to yeah. show that they are, they have to be secretive. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I loved is they had to be secretive, not because it was a same sex relationship. Mm-hmm. They had to be secretive because the Omerlin seat can't show favor to anybody. Yeah. You know, and so that's really kind of what more of the issue. And there's some other stuff too, because they have a plot that's going on to save the world and they can't share that with everybody else. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but it, it's not about that they're queer. That's no, neither here nor there. And, I know from interviews that Robert Jordan gave before he died, he did talk about there were are queer people, you know, in this this universe in the books. Um, but if you blink, you'll miss it, yeah. you know, sort of thing. But in interviews, Robert Jordan said that, um, well, he did, he wanted to just make it to where it's that's not a big deal, that's not a concern. Yeah, and, and so I, yeah, I love how the show has done that. Where it's like with the um, and there's like poly relationships with the. So, you know, yeah, with I said the their warders like that was great. And they I don't even love like, that make a big deal about it. But I just love that they really did make this cast really diverse. They made sexualities of characters really different. And it was just like, you know, I think those are updates that would make those things probably wouldn't have flown like in publishing in the 90s. Right now, exactly. they fit so well with where we are now, and it's you think really about beautiful. you think about the '90s, right? And so, um, what was going on in pop culture in the '90s? Um, friends, right? Yeah. And so you think about Friends um, that didn't have any people of color, you know, on that show. And at the time, I was shocked to learn this, but at the time, like polls of you know, asking people cultural polls, um, most people were still against interracial marriage at that time in the 90s 
Yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, I've grown up, I live in the San Francisco Bay area, so it's a pretty diverse place. So that wasn't something that I thought was still an issue, like people against interracial marriage, but apparently in the nineties, that was still a thing for most of the country who knew. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think it was just a product of the time. Um, Robert Jordan was a cis white heterosexual male, you know, not slamming him for it because that's just what it is, but he wouldn't have necessarily been exposed to a lot of the ideas, you know, about, you know, queer people and representation. And still a lot of people who are straight people don't understand that representation matters or they feel that, oh, if you're putting queer people in your fantasy, that's a political statement. And yet they don't seem to understand that, well, if you put straight people in a fantasy series, that's also a political statement. And if it's only straight people, that is your politics right there. You're choosing to exclude, you know? Yeah. So could Robert Jordan have done better? I think in hindsight, of course, I think he did great with what he had at the time, but I do think it's time for us to look at that and say, okay, maybe some of this we could soften up on because we know better now. And when we know better, we should do better. And so far the Amazon show is doing better. Yeah. And it's beautifully made really great cast. Just like such a good casting. Oh, I love it. I uh, love the cast. I love the the diversity of it too, because it actually, I will say just in terms of like the fantasy world that was created, it makes more sense that you have diversity everywhere because the the mythology is that, you know, something like 3000 years, you know, before the show starts, there's this event called the breaking of the world. And everybody is like, there's refugees, about, everybody's yeah. tossed about and whatever. So it would make sense that you'd have a, a menagerie, you know, of people you know, just kind of all mixed together and, and moving about. And yet there's still, you know, areas where it's predominantly this type of person that, you know, whatever, yeah. and you've got your different cultures and stuff, but a lot of diversity. I love it because our world is diverse. Yeah. And for so many years, Hollywood has only shown white people for the most part. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to show our, our brown people on our brown people shows, you know, that kind of thing. And now of course we're getting much more integration and you can see that it's pressing some buttons. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with wheel of time, I, if you follow wheel of time hashtags on social media, there are some very angry um, racist people, you know, out there, you know, and and, and anti-queer people. And all I have to say is I'm delighted, Yeah, you know, yeah. because this is doing so good. And if, if, if the bigots are mad, then, you know, you're doing something good. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the, I mean, like, I just think about Sophia Okaneda. was just like, Oh, such oh. great. And great. also God. So that was so hot. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'm a queer guy, right. Whatever. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, they were so hot. They were so, they were <laughs> so, so hot together. Like, that was the episode that like, I was like, okay, well, I'm all in. Cause like, and I love the way they kind of built up. Cause like, you don't know at the beginning how, if you can trust Moraine, she's such a kind of enigma. And I think that's intentional and it builds you some suspense. Like, oh, is she on the level? Is she good or bad? But then like that episode, I'm like, okay, no, I would, I would die for her. I care about her and her <laughs> so much. I'm on her side. I want her and her girlfriend to, you know, be happy. And she just, but the way they kind of unravel that and show it and unravel the layers, it's just really well done and you kind of really do build up to caring about all these characters and in, in a really great way and they're and it's a big cast 
there's some and I, well. and I know like there are some of these characters um like I've you know read a few things like wikis about like Pat and Fane like he's going to be a much bigger character going forward oh yeah and so that's kind of got to be interesting for an actor to like okay you're going to be in two episodes for like three scenes but you know season four yeah exactly real big deal and so you know they still did great casting like lan oh my goodness daniel henry or hennessy so 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 pretty too well yeah that yeah but that's such a good job right and he he was different than the Lan that I pictured in my head. Mm -hmm. And now, no, he's Lan. He took that role and he made it his. Yeah. And I, I love, in fact, they all have. Yeah. You know, and some of them have honestly improved the characters uh, and their likability, you know, from the books. I was not a fan of Nynaeve in the books. She was okay. Yeah. She's great. She's awesome. In the show. I mean, and she's a bit, don't get me wrong, she's a huge character, obviously, in the books. And Mm -hmm. I end up liking her later, but her story is just so long. And there's like things that I'm just like, God, get over it, you know, whatever. (laughs) And um, and all she is in the book for the most part, in the in the books, she's mostly just mad and just tugging on her braid. That's like the big thing about Nanave is like, you know, she just tugging on her braid and just being, you know, mad at everybody. And they actually make her likable. She's such a great and dynamic character in the show. And so kudos to the showrunner and the writers for being able to make this happen. And hello to the actor. I mean, um, I'm blanking on her name right now. Oh, no. Um, And both because I, yeah, I'm not remembering a lot of the actors' names because they're quite, you know, uh, unknown. Like they're, like I said, aside from like Rose Byrne, most of these people are not household names. Right. Um, I guess Rosamund only... Pike would be would have been the one who's like, I'm, and I, I honestly, I hadn't Burn. heard. I'm so sorry. I hadn't. Um, Rosamund Pike. Ro- Rosamund Pike. She's amazing. And Z- um, Zoe I, Robbins is in any of. She's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry um, for calling I, her. I remembered name. Zoe, and then, but I think I wanted to give a different last name, so I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> the only other person I recognize is Kate Fleetwood, who plays Leandrin, and she was on amazing. Uh, Hulu show called Harlots for three seasons. Oh, no, if you haven't no. watched Harlots, people go watch Harlots. It's amazing. It's just I think my like, husband was watching that. I haven't seen it, but I'll check it out now. No, it's it's really a wonderful show. It's very. She, it's been it's surprisingly queer too. Yeah, she is great as Landrin. Oh yeah. So like, yeah. and I think that also the showrunners have the benefit of having all fourteen books and right. all the other stuff, and like knowing where they're going, and they're taking stuff from lots of different books right for the season yes. it's not just all one right book. I know so for season one it's basically the first book in the series mm-hmm. the eye of the world and of course that was also the the name for the final episode yeah. in the season um, but they are taking things a little bit from future books and also from the prequel novel and yeah. and and some brand new stuff too there's some stuff that just came out of left field you know especially in that first episode Oh really? Like, what? What oh, came yeah. out? What was like? What was out of left field in there? Um. Oh. So okay. So obviously this is spoilerific, right? So yes, if, if, okay. Spoiler if anyone warning. has not watched the show, um, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. if you don't want it spoiled, don't listen to me. Yeah. Um. But the thing that really got me in the beginning was um that Perrin has a wife. Oh yeah. And he didn't have a wife in the beginning of the story, and this was a. This was not even 
the character of his wife. And this is a, a whole new person who basically was just inserted to give him that trauma. Yeah. Because of course, in that first season, when the Trollocs come and they start invading the the village and everyone, there's a, the, the everyone has their own off. trauma. Everyone's got their trauma, but this is really kind of giving him his trauma and why he doesn't want to pick up the ax, you know, and, and that is something that he struggles with in the books. You know, he just wants to be a blacksmith. He just wants to use the hammer. He doesn't want to hurt people, you know, whatever, but this really gave you like a shocking moment when he, you know, accidentally kills his wife you know, in the big, you know, trollic attack and he's tormented by it, you know, and you see how he's tormented by it in, in subsequent episodes. I think that was a really good move because it, it really, even for somebody like me who like knows all the things, you know, that are, that are coming, you know, or at least most of them, because some of it, I forgot, I will tell you, because that's a oh, lot yeah. of words, it's a lot of words, like, oh yeah, a lot of words. Um, but I was, sh- I, I, I gasped out loud. I was like, what? This is so, what? (laughs) It shocked me. But then I loved it because it gave that emotional impetus, you know, for his character development. Um, I'll be interested to see how they continue with that because of course, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but later he's got some stuff going on with, you know, relationship stuff. So, um, but I, I think it was a good move. They also aged up everybody a couple of years. Yeah. They're like teenagers in the book. Yeah. They're right? basically like 16 or like 19, depending on who they are. And um, so they're all about like, you know, 1920, you know, in the show they're they're less naive because in the books, like, I mean, obviously they're all virgins, you know, they've got, you mm-hmm. know, they're all like, you know, it's all very weird. Like, you know, men and women don't understand each other, which is kind of like the sad premise of the books in a little bit, you know, it, it, yeah. it has a little bit of that, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind mm-hmm. of nonsense. Um, but knowing what Robert Jordan was going for, his big, like, if there's a moral of the story, it's that the greatest things happen when men and women work together. Yeah. You know, and so, and I get that. Um, it's just a little too black and white in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, we understand that life is not really set up that way. Our understanding of gender yeah. should be more evolved now. That's what I'm um, hoping they might get into in another, in you know, later seasons here is I'd love to see a character who is, you know, not cisgendered and see how that interacts with this magical system they've set up because like what it would you know how how does the power work for somebody who is non-binary or transgender and what however that translates in this world because I think that you know opens up so many interesting questions with this magic that's you know only for women but you know how does this world define female because I think there's you know they could do it the boring old way or they could do it in an interesting way right you know absolutely I mean that was something me reading the books I always kind of felt you know was like hey there should be there should be men quote unquote (laughs) who Mm -hmm. can channel the the supposed female half of, of of the source and vice versa you know that doesn't really show up although I will say without giving away any book spoilers there actually is a character much later on who is able for lack of a better term to channel the opposite of the mm-hmm. gendered power 
Um, but it's not actually very affirming or good. It's actually, mm. it's one of the bad guys. They're put yeah. in a new body kind of as a punishment. Mm. They used to be a man. Now they're a woman. Oh, and dear. now even though they're a woman, they are channeling the male half of the source. And so I'm like, well, you're almost there, but it's not really affirming. It kind of falls back into that old trope of like, oh, queer people are going to be the villains. Yeah. You know? So you know? I, I, I'm really hoping that they're, and it seems like, I feel like it's a strong possibility with these showrunners and the way we've seen things kind of evolve I agree. in the book. Um, yeah, but let's talk about the magic yes. in this because it's really, it's beautifully done on the show. I love the way it is. And as you, and you mentioned earlier, like you think that it's applicable to our real world magical practices. I do. Yeah. Can you please, please expand? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the magic system. It is a hard yeah. magic system, which means that there are rules, right? Yeah. And so um, in the mythology of the wheel of time, um, it is said that um, um, the creator, I guess that would be God, you know, but they always yeah. refer to him as the creator. <clears throat> um, when he created the world and the wheel of time, um, he locked away the dark one at the moment of creation. And the, the, the creator, his power, and I say his just because I believe it's referred to as in the mail mm-hmm. and in the, in, the, in the series, but maybe we could forgive that. Yeah. Um, the, um, their power is called um, the true source or the one power. Kind of those terms are interchangeable, and that is the power of the universe, it's the power that drives the wheel of time. The wheel is a metaphor, it's it's visualized as a wheel with seven spokes. Each of the spokes represents a different age, you know, in the world. And but the idea is that they all come around again, you know, and it's very similar to like in Hinduism, where you've got the different ages and and it's a wheel, but it's cyclical, it all comes around again. Very Battlestar and Galactica, so, all this has happened before. And all this exactly, happened exactly. Uh, in fact, even from the first episode in the, the Wheel of Time series, we see these ancient ruins and they are obvious, obviously the ruins of skyscrapers. And so yeah. you're given this impression that like, wait a minute, you know, there was something before the current level of technology. And of course, in the show, the current level of technology is like horse and buggies and- yeah, very- um, medieval renaissance yeah in the books they don't even have gunpowder really that's something that kind of comes about a little later um but we see in like the flashback in the final episode like hey they have like spaceships or exactly or whatever yeah like oh it's like star trek oh my goodness exactly terribly wrong so in the series um well let me get back to the one power so so um so his power it drives the wheel of time the the wheel is like a spinning wheel It, it weaves out threads of fate and those threads are the lives of humanity. And they are woven into a tapestry called the pattern. And so the pattern of a particular age, there's a particular kind of, um, I don't know, a flow, a particular type of archetype for that age. And um, the, the minute details will change, you know, uh, you know but, but there's a general goal, I suppose, you know, a particular type of um, format for that particular age. And so the age that um, the series is set in is called the third age. And in fact, 
the third age, it's called that by some, the, the book says, you know, um, not everybody calls it the third age. So it also depends on who you are and what um, culture you, you're coming you from. Count. Yeah. <laughs> what are your prophecies? And in the books, there are several different types of calendars, different eras have been mapped and everything. But the, the age that preceded this one is called, um, often referred to as the age of legends. And this is that age that you were just talking about where it's like, it's super sci-fi. They've got flying cars and it's just like, it's this utopia, right? And um, in that age, um, Aes Sedai were both men and women. Yeah. Aes Sedai is a, an old tongue phrase that means the servants of all. And so they were the ones that basically ruled, they governed the world. There was a world government. Um, they had eradicated homelessness and sickness and poverty. And it was all about, you know, bettering, you know, the world and humanity and all that stuff. But humans are always looking for more. And so in that age of legends, they um, were searching and they discovered what they felt to be a new um, form of power and one that could be channeled equally by women and men. And so they were very excited about like tapping into this new form of power, right? Um, in that age, it said that the most miraculous things were created by men and women using the one power together. Okay. And really quick, I'll say about the one power, how it tends to work is that they tap into this universal power and there are two halves of it. There's the, the female half, which is called Saidar, and the male half, Saidin. And um, Sidar is often described as something that you surrender to. And we mm -hmm. get a little bit of that mythology actually in the first episode where um, Aguin gets pushed into the river. Yeah. Just you go know? with the flow. Yeah. Exactly. Float, yeah. Just like, just let it happen, you know, whatever. And that's kind of a, a, a beginning exercise, you know, that are taught to the women on how to channel. Like you have to just embrace the source. You surrender to it. Let it flow through you. And in the books, there are some really great, simple little exercises that were taught from Moraine to Aguin, you know, about how to do this, which I found to be totally helpful. And I've adapted in my own magical work with my students um, about surrendering to this power, right? Well, the male half is, you know, Saidin, that is considered to be different. You don't surrender to it. You have to conquer it. Mm -hmm. You have to dominate it. So we're already in a little bit of problematic territory. Yeah, gender. And I and I'm actually Jeff. thinking they're going to correct this in the in the Amazon series. Um, I have some little thoughts about that, but but anyway, in 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 the books, um, a man has to seize Saidin, and then he has to like basically dominate it and fight with it and control it, right? And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, so let's just take a step back. So. When so men have to be dominating and strong and force it into what they want to do, and women have to be passive and just let it happen. I don't think that this is a good message. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know now really. I also think that probably Robert Jordan would not have thought of it in that yeah. way. He was literally trying to say, We all, you know, hey, we're men and women are different, which I don't think we are, but you know, at least not on that level, yeah, you know, but. You know, hey, it's all about working together. So I, I get where he was going with it. He's obviously was a genius and, and all these things, but no one's perfect. And I think this is an obvious flaw in, in the mythology. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So um, 
they found find this other source and they go to where they perceive the pattern. I mentioned the pattern, you know, every the wheel of time is spinning out threads of people's lives and it makes this pattern. And so the pattern is basically the universe. And um, they find where the pattern is thinnest. And so using the their one power, they make a bore, they bore through the pattern to get mm-hmm. to this power. It seems like a great idea. I can't go wrong. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and then they immediately, as soon as they bore through the pattern, they immediately realize, hey, this source mm-hmm. of power is actually the dark one. Oops. We bored into the dark one's prison. And even mm-hmm. though the the bore is too small for the dark one to escape, but now his influence can seep into the world. And so it starts affecting people's thoughts. Like everyone's like darker natures starts mm-hmm. getting empowered. Oh, it's you know? very and like so, apple of knowledge. You know, yeah, uh, right. Setting. Yeah, it is, you know, and so and it begins this whole period of, you know, um, where people start, I don't know, delving into their darker thoughts and, you know, corruption and greed start making a comeback. And um, long story short, too late. At some point, they decide we have to go. And we have to seal the bore, right? And there's there becomes a split in how to do this, you know. So there's the leader of the Aes Sedai at that time in the Age of Legends is Luz Theron Telamon, and we get to see him in that flashback in the final yeah. episode. And um, the the who is in charge of basically the female Aes Sedai, they're deciding how are we going to do this. The men want to go and patch up the boar and the women say that that's too risky and instead what they want to do is they basically want to put like a force field around like the whole area and remove it from reality and so they can't decide on how to proceed and so basically the women say no we're not going to do this because if we do this then the one power might get corrupted Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and the men are like, but it won't happen if you help us. And they're like, yeah, it's too risky. Yeah. Um, the women have their other plan. Um, the women's plan is not going to work now because for many yeah. reasons we don't have to go into. Um, but the men decide to do it on their own and they successfully are able to seal the bore. But in the last moment, as the dark one is being sealed away, he gives a counter strike and he's able to corrupt the male half of the true source. And so now from that point on, any man who can channel is driven insane. And so, and in fact, they, in their books, they call it the taint, which I'm really glad they changed. So yeah, that um, was a good change guys. Good right. Change. I don't need to be hearing any more about the dark ones taint. Thank you very much. But, um, <laughs> um, but it's described as like a thick sledge or like oil that's floating yeah, on top. They visualize of the it pure. really beautifully in the, they did the a show. really good job. I was wondering how they're going to do that, right? So that you get the visuals are, if you haven't seen it, the visuals are that they would tap into this power and it would flow to them as like these white flows. Mm-hmm. And then, but with men doing Saideen, then suddenly the flows, these black flows like, come in like on top of it. It was like oil on top of it. Yeah, beautiful yeah. special effects. And they did a great job. And I love it. Like the idea of, Cause that is something we encounter in our magical practices, like, you know, surrendering to the universe and tapping into those bigger powers. And it's, it's a, it's a useful exercise for anyone who's yeah. doing that kind of energy work. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And another thing too, is when, um, and this would be for men and women, we're going to 
not talk about the corruption, you know, for a moment, mm -hmm. but when they would tap into the one power, they would basically then, for lack of a better term, divide those powers into mm -hmm. the five elements, earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Oh, and so yeah. in the books, they haven't done this so much in the series yet, but in the books, it's really intricately described, like to do these certain things, they are going to weave together a thread of air and fire, or they're yeah. going to air and fire in a touch of earth, you know, or we're weaving a thread of spirit, you know, into this and, and whatever. And so they're, they're referred to as different weaves. The different weaves will do different things. And in the mythology, of course, knowledge of a lot of the weaves was lost during the breaking of the world. And so there's a lot, you know, they knew that in the age of legends, the Aes Sedai could even fly. You know, there was all these wonderful, miraculous things they can do. But the Aes Sedai of today, that's just like mythology that they don't know how to do that. Um, so it, it, it's 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 pretty cool. I, I really did like the yeah. magical system. And it spoke really well to somebody working in the Western magical system because I'm already working with an elemental model. And it seems like he, Robert Jordan was very much influenced by was he influenced by, you know, modern magic or witchcraft? Like he talked, there's, you know, they have Beltine in there. I'm like, oh, there's some Celtic right. influences in there. I'm sure like he, there's something influencing him. Yeah. And he, he drew a lot from, I mean, there's obviously like the Celtic stuff. There's um, from all over there's the, a lot of like Hinduism. Hinduism. Um, yeah. There, there's, there's stuff from Asian cultures there from all over. He kind of drew all these different things. And the mythology of course, of the wheel is that, you know, as ages come and go, but then they'll come around again. And when an age comes around again, it's like everything's been forgotten, but there might be a couple little things that are reminders. And in fact, everyone's reincarnated. Little, everyone's yeah, reincarnation is just a given, you know. Yeah. And in fact, it's it's canon in the in yeah. the show. I mean, basically the, you know, I don't want to say the main character because it's actually an ensemble, but there is like one character who's referred to as the dragon reborn. Yeah. And we learned the identity of the dragon reborn, you know, um, towards the end of season one. Oh, I just have to pause and talk about the scene of his birth, that fight oh, scene with the pregnant. Yes. Well, that was one of my favorite things I've seen on TV last year. It was so amazing. That fight was just so great. And this it told you so much about that character and that people. It was just, yeah. One of my oh favorite my scenes. God, I, I think it might be my favorite scene it. of the whole show. That was, that it fight. was amazing. And also yeah. on a co comedic level, you know, I was like, this is why you don't wear capes in the battle. There's that scene where she like grabs the guy's cape and like flips him over. And, you know, and here she is. She's like not only nine months pregnant, but she's actively in labor. Yeah. And she is just kicking ass and taking names. Okay, I could barely talk when I was in labor. Like, go, yeah. But it was, yeah, I loved that scene. It was so great. But yeah, I did yeah. like the, you know, the Edna mode, no capes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My capes are stupid. Um, but yeah, that was great. And so, yeah, we do like in the end of the series, like Rand is revealed as the dragon reborn, which, you know, I was like, okay, well, of course it's the dude, but you know, fine. I'm sure he'll, but he kind of steps up and he's, I hope he kind of evolved into more than just like kind of a, you know, typical hero, Luke Skywalker sort of chosen one narrative. I hope it goes in a more interesting way. I'm sure it if, will. If it follows even roughly the pattern of the books, um, he's going to be quite annoying for a while. Um, <laughs> but those kind of but, shows in one characters always are. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot going on. Yeah, you know, he's got with, you know, know, it's a lot of a little pressure. bit of pressure, right? You know, yeah. the, literally the weight of the world on his shoulders, and not even just the world. It's kind of the universe. All the existence, you know, like 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, and also you're going to go crazy if you, you know, follow mm-hmm. this road. And so I understand. And I thought that then they did really cast that character well, because again, that is a character who could be annoying easily. I thought that that actor did a great job. And now I'm looking up his name, Joshua Stradowski. He was, he was mm-hmm. wonderful. I mean, they're all. Oh yeah. Great. All and, of them were, I, I, I can't fault any of the actors. Yeah. You know, uh, they've all done an amazing job, um, especially with what they were given. And I know that a lot of people on the interwebs have been upset because it, it's not 100% accurate. But I'm like, how would it, you do that? How yeah. would you, first of all, in eight episodes, the budget was eight episodes. How could you possibly do it in eight episodes? It, it really, I mean, 24 episodes, then maybe you could do a faithful one book. Yeah, you know, that's hard to watch and hard to make. And I'm just yeah. so glad, like the thing that I'm so grateful for with Game of Thrones is that it did really kind of show people that the best way to ad- adapt books is not as movies. It is as shows, especially with these right. kind of scale. Because like, you I need that long. I can't imagine how you do it as a movie. Yeah, like this would just have been a disaster as a movie. So like Game of yeah. Thrones, the first season would have been a disaster as a movie. You know, you look at things like, one of my favorite books growing up was the Predating Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. And it is literally like the worst Disney movie of all time when they tried to adapt that <laughs> to the Black Cauldron, um, uh, which one day I'll do on here because it's such an interesting little piece of film history. But, you know, books, you know, if you really want to get into these big fantasy books, like the best thing is like lingering in them. Like you talked about how Robert Jordan has these long passages about your know, teacups and that's what I love is like finding these worlds and exploring these worlds. And it's hard to do. Like, I think the show does a pretty good job, like not info dumping on you, but also not being too confusing. Cause there are a lot of shows like for me, like the Witcher season one, I was so confused for like most of that first season because there was just so much information and weird words yeah, and stuff being thrown at you like and then of course it was all these different spoiler for the witcher season one it's three different timelines it's very confusing up until the very it was and i will admit that probably the only reason i stuck with it is because you know henry cavill was like shirtless and yeah. in a bath like half the time yeah i mean and he, it was he, like he's okay. great bit, but uh, I was oh he's like, awesome yeah and um i watched the witcher in like screeners um because i reviewed it ahead of time and they don't have I love watching stuff with subtitles, especially like fantasy stuff. It makes things make so much more sense. And they had no subtitles on the Witcher screener. So I'm like, I don't even know who this character's name is or how anything oh, yeah, is yeah, spelled. Yeah. So I watched all of Wheel of Time with subtitles. I think it definitely helped me understand, you know, I'm like, because sometimes like, did they just, is that a word that they just pronounced in an English accent or is it a made up fantasy word? <laughs> yeah, no, when I, I, cause I rewatched after it was all done, then I binged it. Oh yeah, you know, so I could watch it again, um, and and then I did at least for part of it watched it with subtitles. There's there's this great scene um, where you get to meet the character of Tom Marilyn, and he's the Gleeman. Oh, you know, I he's love in, that character. And that yeah, and actually, did he? I like and I was kind of confused what, what happened to him. Like he, they said he's like they said he's dead, but he's not. Like spoiler for the books, I think he like survives. He's he's gonna come back, right? Somewhere. I don't know if you want me to. Do you want me to tell you? I mean, yeah, yeah. just tell me. Don't, we won't tell anyone. Yeah, he's there. He okay. he's a, he he's there. I think through pretty much the whole thing. Okay, yeah, because he was he's, a, he's I an important character. character. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he. I, I don't even think he dies at the end. Um, 
No, I'm pretty sure he's, he's got to be there the whole time. I'll have to, you know, that's the thing is I'm going to need to reread the books now too, because it's so much information. In fact, I was doing some research, like going on the Wheel of Time wiki yeah. over the last several days. Because I also um, did an interview about Wheel of Time for um, Devin's um, oh, Modern Witch podcast. And because we had actually been planning to do that before the series even came out, because I love this, this book series so much. And I got Devin into it. We've been listening to it on Audible. And I think we finished book seven, book eight, you know, with, uh, with him. And so we were going to do this anyway. Um, but yeah, for, for that. And for this, I was getting on that wiki and I was, and I was like, oh my God, how did I miss this? So I was, and I was like, I spent like three days, like just pouring through all this material and I'm going to read about this character now. And like, oh, this leads to this. And there was a lot of stuff that either I had glossed over when I was reading it, or I just forgot. Cause there's so much talk about an information dump. Yeah. I mean, almost 5 million words. And it know, just shows so. how much like the showrunners really did care about being true to this and doing a good job that they've have. There's so much density to it that like first time watchers like me, like, oh, it goes right over our head. But somebody like you will like notice even on like the second time, like, oh, that's important. Will be important five years from now. And that's right, a right, hard right. job to kind of like balance. And there that. was like They're a little, there was a little thing that I know it was just, like small little things that I thought were really cool. There's a one scene with Moraine Sedai and she is, I believe they're at um, Tarvalon, which is of course the big city um, that's ruled by the Aes Sedai, which is that secret. Now it's not, well, kind of a secret society of women. It's, yeah. I say secret because they have their secrets. You know, the whole yeah. world knows about them, but not their secrets. And um, she's just sitting there having presumably a cup of tea. And she's got this little, porcelain teacup that's very looks very fine and i'm like oh that's fine sea folk porcelain that was yeah. described in the books they would always describe like these porcelain teacups and you know these objects and you know whatever and who made them and you know what culture it came from and of course you can't really do that in a visual format right because a lot of that stuff is just given to you as just like people's passing thoughts you know, it doesn't really translate the same way, you know, to a screen, but there she was with that little teacup. And it was like, oh, I know that comes from the sea yeah. folk, you know, <laughs> production designers have the most fun. So, oh, one of the things I want to talk about is these sort of, for lack of a better term, like these witch hunter characters, the servants. Oh, yes. I, I, I like, okay, well, I know Maureen's not the bad guy. Cause I really hate these fuckers. Like Right. I like it was very much witch hunty and very like oh yeah they are me. the Spanish Inquisition basically yeah and you I was know, really happy when that guy I think he got eaten by wolves or something that was satisfying um but yeah that was like <laughs> those were harrowing scenes yeah they call themselves yeah. the children of the light and a lot of people refer to them as white cloaks yeah. and um and actually so far I will say they're actually a little bit scarier in the series than they were in the books because in the books they really shouldn't be able to threaten an Aes Sedai. Yeah. I'm like, what kind of you authority know? do these guys have that they're, you know, I guess this one guy was like a rogue out there killing Aes Sedai, but they were not well, he's, nice. Like, I guess he's one of their, like, I can't remember they? what they call yeah. them, but there's, he's basically an inquisitor, a questioner, yeah. I think is what they're called. And, and even the other white cloaks are afraid of the questioners because yeah. they can call anybody into question. They're like, they're the inquisition. Yeah. But they believe that the one power does not come from the creator. That, that it comes from the dark one, which is basically the Spanish Inquisition. It's like, oh, any magic is the devil, right? Yeah. So they refer to the Aes Sedai as witches. Exactly. And they, and they 
it's just like oh it's just say you hate women it's like yeah it's just so much yeah it's it's, it's very like, yeah. it's a great depiction of what the witch trials you know and that yeah, which absolutely is, you know and then and thus it's very hard to watch but it's a good you see where they're taking their inspiration there and it's done very well even though it's terrifying and yeah the actors and they did it. a good job of making it extra scary i can because yeah. they are a threat obviously in the books but again and i said i should be should be able in most parts to be there are some ways to overpower and i said i we haven't mm -hmm. really explored that in the series but in the books there's like certain herbs that can prevent yeah. a woman from being able to channel you know whatever and so it's possible but we had we see that scene where he's burning one of them at the stake and he's cut her hands off right uh, because the idea is that without her hands she can't channel which isn't entirely true yeah that um, seems but, limiting yeah i mean they kind of do explain that in the books the Aes yeah. Sedai learn their weaves usually with hand gestures mm -hmm. to the point where if they can't do the hand gestures off often they can't do the weaves i will say book spoilery a little there is later later we find other groups of women who can channel who are not the Aes Sedai and there's one in particular this group you know they're kind of dismissive of the Aes Sedai they're like oh well we channel but you know, we don't do all that hand waving yeah. you know and so they learn how to do it without any of the gestures mm -hmm. you know yeah I, I I think the magical system in here is very interesting and I can see its influence on other you know, media, I've seen like the hand gestures remind me a lot of the magic they use in the magicians, which yeah, came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do some, like, one of my pet peeves sometimes is like magic and fantasy is when like magic is portrayed as like only, only special people have it. Only a few people have it. And I, you know, I prefer, you know, magic that's always there and like anyone can tap yeah. into that's you know, like, like as we experience it in our own magical lives. Yeah, totally true. And and of course, in this series, it is still special people. You know, it's yeah. it's estimated that in the age of legends, it was something like two to three percent of the population, you know, had the ability mm -hmm. to channel. And now in the third age, it's like one percent of the population. Yeah. So it is still like really limited. And that allows, you know, the author to do, you know, say interesting things about power and class and the other in that works in, you know literature and fiction but for yeah. you know people who are reading who are trying to find their own magic don't worry you don't need to be special right. just, just you know just go with the flow and find it right and I, I kind of feel that in our real world systems what i've the conclusion i've come to is if you're drawn to magic if yeah. you feel that you have a calling for it then you probably have the ability to do it yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people in the world that aren't drawn to that at all. Yeah, that's true. You know, and so, and I, I do know that there are people in the world that are not magical, you know, that, that yeah. they couldn't magic their way out of a paper bag, you know, and that's okay. You know, and if they need help, they'll find somebody that is magical, you know, to do that for them. I do think that, you know, it's like any other like talent or skill, you know, it's yeah. like not everybody is born with the same talents. You know, some people have artistic talent. Yeah. Um, some people don't, um, some people, no matter how much training they go through, they're not going to be able to be a competent artist because it's just not what, you know, is calling to them. They're not able to do it, but I think a lot more can, 
you know, if, if you really kind of do your work and you get in there, you know, and, and you practice, 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 I think a lot more people can have access to those types of talent, whether it's artistic or magical, you know, talent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably would be true in this world as well. And I'm saying like, oh, 1% of the population, but we also know that there are a lot of people that have the potential to learn how to channel, but don't know that they do. In fact, we get that from Aguin. Yeah, you know, exactly. Early on, although she's powerful enough to where they say that um, she it would it would happen spontaneously for her anyway at some point. Um, but there are some people that would have the ability, but they've never approached it and it will never manifest, you know, in them. And yeah. so what do you say about that? Right. Yeah. And I do like the idea that, like, you know, even if it's innate, you still got to practice. You still got to have, you know, your daily. In fact, even more so because yeah. in that universe. um some people are referred to as wilders and wilders would be people that actually have developed the ability to channel on their own. And so, um, but they're kind of look the white tower, which is the, of course the, the Aes Sedai stronghold, literal, um, ivory, tower. <laughs> literal <laughs> ivory tower, exactly. Yeah. And, um, they definitely look down their noses at wilders, you know, um, you know, because also you could hurt yourself, you could, or kill yourself or at the very least, um, burn yourself out so that yeah. you lose the ability to channel, you know? And so the white tower is all about, um, instructing those girls, you know, and I say girls because, you know, at least in the beginning of the series, they don't accept older people, you know, they, they're only going to accept y young women, you know, or girls, you know, to learn because they're more malleable and, yeah. you know, and, and whatnot. And again, it says a lot about like power and institutional knowledge and oh yeah, people who the Aes Sedai are. I love the Aes Sedai. Gatekeepy, gatekeepy. Oh, they are so gatekeepy, and <laughs> I love the Aes Sedai, and I hate the Aes Sedai because they they are so like up their own ass. And, 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 they, and they've broken up into all these factions, like you know, and that's yes, not the seven and, like, and, it's, and it's again about like how things don't go well when you don't communicate or cooperate with other people, and so yeah. That's another, I mean, like you see, see this fractioning within them. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll see more of that as yeah. the, as the series progresses, I, things will, I, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Let me tell you that. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, it was interesting. My, my mom watched this and she, she thought it was like a limited series, just like that this was it. So she got like some text messages like, wait, wait, there's that, that wasn't, that didn't resolve anything. Is there going to be more? I'm like, I think there's quite a few more books yeah and quite if, a few more if it's, it's gonna just take a on, while if it's just on this pattern now i can imagine that they're gonna have to combine things and and they're gonna have to leave out certain characters or combine characters and I'm they have sure. done that a little already um but it would be like 14 seasons yeah maybe 15 seasons depending on how you know they're they do it and i can't imagine that that's their plan i would assume it's going to be shorter than 14, yeah. 15 seasons, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe Amazon, you know, it is done very well for them. Maybe they're like, okay, cool. This will be, it we'll was like the, the number one, years. it was like the number one streaming show in the world for yeah. a hot minute. Um, I have noticed though, that a lot of people, cause of course now with the internet, everyone's a critic. Yeah. And so there are some scathing criticisms about this, but uh, most of the scathing criticisms I find have to do with like the level of quote, wokeness. Which, you like, know, which I'm like, like, um, oh, cry me a river. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, you're so basically you're mad about brown people. You know, that that's kind of what mm -hmm. it feels to me and or queer people and the queer stuff that they inserted into it. 
it has a basis in the stories, even if it's kind of expressed more now. Again, I talked about, you know, Moraine and and Swan Sanchi, the, the Amerlin seat. Um, in the books, it's described that when they were both novices and accepted at the White Tower, they were pillow friends mm-hmm. was the was the phrase, which is I roll my eyes at that. But I think I had pillow a few of those friends. in high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they usually those relationships are abandoned, you know, as they become full Aes Sedai, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's usually is kind of thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that we didn't really see these queer adult relationships in the books doesn't mean that they didn't exist in that world. It just meant that it wasn't integral to the story. And so Robert Jordan didn't mention that. In fact, he says as much in some interviews that he gave. And it was just like, well, it's it's a pretty non-issue in this world. You know, and he does actually have a couple few queer characters. There's a couple guys, and I think like four women, who are uh, who are described as being. I mean, they don't use the word queer, but you know. And again, if you blink, you'd miss it. You know, um, and they're obviously not main characters, but yeah. um, th- this was delightful to see Maureen and Swan, and I thought it actually made more sense. Oh yeah, it was you know? it was a great storytelling decision so i'm and just it was excited hot. To, yeah it was hot i'm it excited to see where it goes um so i think we basically reached the end of our time unfortunately oh, that's oh. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about this forever but so both uh so people who are looking for your work online like where can we find you and your work because you're all over you've got a bazillion books you've got more books coming out you've got classes like tell us where you can, we can find everything so about you, you um my website which is in desperate need of updating um is fairywolf.com that's f-a-e-r-y-w-o-l-f.com um and i also am co-owner of uh, an online store datura trading company so you can go to daturatrading.com it used but to be also, the mystic dream right it used to be the mystic dream and we rebranded after we closed the physical store because of covid and mm-hmm. we decided to um, bring on some other stuff. We're doing a lot with like house plants and magical plants now, in addition to crystals and our magical products and stuff. And that's been fun. My house is now a jungle and I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, I, I and aspire then also, to the amount of plants in your house. So. <laughs> I'm hoping we get more too. It's it's crazy. Every room is like a jungle. Um, and then finally, we have um, the Modern Witch University. So modernwitchuniversity.com. And that's where you could apply um, and sign up for our Black Rose Witchcraft course which is a roughly one year um, downloadable course. Um, Lessons unlock every week. Um, And some of those are PDFs, you get some in MP3s. Um, But between those websites, that's that's where you can find me. You can also go to modernwitch.com. And that's um, the podcast that Devin does. Um, There's a lot of little projects that we all kind of feed into on that website. You have two books coming out this year. Yes. So um, in March, The Witch's Name will come out, and that's all about um, choosing and finding a magical name. And it's really about creating the magical persona, you know, the the idea that the magical name is a spell that we cast upon ourselves in order to step into our magical power. Um, And then in May, um, my next next book comes out, which is The Satyr's Kiss. And that is a book of um, witchcraft, primarily for queer men. And it has um, got a healthy dose of um, queer sex magic in there as well. And so, because I didn't really see that there was anything that was really written on that before. There's some queer stuff, but this really gets into it. I have actually um, 
sexual rituals and um, sex magic spells. And I also give versions if people don't want to do it in a sexual way, you know, so, um, but talk it also a lot about like queer mythology figures, queer history, um, so on and so forth. So I'm very excited. Yeah, about I'm those excited for out. both of those. As well. and are, the, are those Thank both you. from Llewellyn or? They are. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Right. Yeah, I think they're available for pre-order right now on Llewellyn. They are. Yeah, yeah. I think both on the Llewellyn website, but also on Amazon. Yeah. Um, you could get them. And then eventually when they come out, I'll be selling signed copies from our store, yeah. daturatrading.com. I, I love pre-ordering stuff for myself because then I forget I did it. And then like months <laughs> later, I'm like, oh, a present for myself. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh. like, I've gotten so many books that way. I'm like, oh, oh, this looks so interesting. I'm so glad past me thought I'd like that. Yay. So. That's awesome. I love that too. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it really does help. Pre-orders really do help for an author um, because yeah. it really kind of shows that there is an interest. And so if you want, you know, more books to happen from me in the future, pre-orders are a good way to show the publishing companies that, hey, we're in demand and we actually want these things. Um, what's also nice about ordering it that way, especially on Amazon, is that, you know, if the price was to change, they give you like that price yeah. guarantee. I've gotten those like, hey, like we gave you $5 back. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, so nice of you. <laughs> but I'm, all, I'm always willing to pay, you know, full price for the authors I enjoy. And so I've got those pre-ordered already. And so I'm excited for those. And thank you so much for coming on and talking about Wheel of Time. We'll hopefully have you on again for you know season two and i'd love that maybe some other magical show in between absolutely i'd be able to talk to you definitely be down with that thank you so much for inviting me on it's been a pleasure thank you Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Real Magic. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you find your podcast, but especially on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using, because that helps other people find the show. You can also follow us at Real Magic Pod on Twitter or me at Fangirling Jess on Twitter. We'll be back, hopefully, in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, I hope you're having a great time out there. And remember, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all the world.